This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, we're the weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Now it's mid-international break at the moment so there's no current action for Saints on the pitch, but Glenn and I still made the most of the time this week by catching up with Saints CEO Martin Simmons. Keen not to just appear when Saints are doing well, but very much wanting to keep communication channels open during the pandemic, we very much appreciate Martin joining us. On this Red and White Insight, he covers going top of the league player contracts, the five subs rule, Danny Ng's recovery, the women's team coverage and more. So hope you find it interesting. Underpinned by our TSP patrons, this is TSP 136 Red and White Insight. Total Saints Podcast, Red and White Insight. Martin, thanks for joining us again. Nice to make the most of this international break by stealing a quieter 45 minutes or so of your time. Welcome back to TSP. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Like before, Glenn and I have a few different topics to chat through, as well as asking you some questions on behalf of our TSP patrons. And patrons, so you're aware, if we can't get through all of your questions with Martin today, then he's kindly agreed to answer them offline. So one way or another, we'll do our best to get an answer for all of you. Thanks for sending the questions in. Firstly then, Martin, I know football is often about looking forward and not backwards, but I'd love us to start by briefly reflecting on last Friday evening and Saints going top of the Premier League. I've no doubts the whole club remains fully focused on the longer-term strategy and won't take being in first place for 
40 or so hours as job done or anything like that. But when you got into the car to head home from St Mary's on Friday night, Martin, what were your general thoughts and emotions? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, I mean, suddenly after you hit on, hit on the right moment, which is when I got in the car, was only when I really realised quite what happened. But, you know, I think I think what you do notice quickly is that the fans aren't there. So, you know, we, we know we've done quite well um, since lockdown and therefore I've got used to the fans not being there. But when you have a moment like that and they're not there, it really hits home. And, mm. you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm really happy to do these, these podcasts because we're just losing that connection with our fans there. And no night was, um, you know, stronger than that to not have that moment with our fans. So that was tricky. But, you know, I think on reflection, it, it felt really good. Um, I was really aware that sort of while I was in the club and around Ralph and around people that work for the club, I was all quite calm. And then when you get in the car, you have a very different um, emotion. But in, in, in all seriousness, I think it was a you know a signal of improvement more than you know being top of the league because we're top of the league for for 24 hours. But it's a lovely moment for everybody who who loves the club. But you know, I think as you know from what we talked about last time, we have a um, a strategy plan and nowhere in that plan to talk about winning the league or being top of the league. It talks about, you know, being in a group of clubs that have that opportunity and a moment when you're doing well. And I think that was a good reflection of what we're trying to achieve. And when you are in that group, it allows you to look forward and invest in the future and commit to a plan and make sure that you're doing the things you want to do to make sure you stay as high at the league as possible. So for me, just having that moment in time where this week we're on international break I will be doing nothing but positive discussions about the future rather than worrying about what might come and I think that's probably the biggest thing for me right now yeah last time we uh, caught up back in uh, September you obviously uh, said that you didn't necessarily enjoy going to games Martin in your capacity they were hard watch sometimes and uh, that sort of thing and um, I saw a reporter tweet to say that they were uh, sat just in front of you uh, at the Newcastle game and quote Martin Simmons is sat behind me and let's just say he's very passionate so it sounded like you enjoyed the game Friday Martin um, despite not having Danny and Ryan available Saints obviously played really well from start to finish and got exactly what they deserved yeah I, I did see that tweet actually because he, <laughs> he put my name on it and it comes up in my system but um, yeah I, I actually know who that was he was sitting right in front of me and I have to apologise for my language but there was a, there was a moment where we weren't given a penalty, where I wasn't so thrilled. But I think Toby did whisper the word HR in my ear when I said what <laughs> I said. But um, uh, that's another issue. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, as you mentioned, to do that without Danny and without Ryan and that sort of, you know, 11 that have really been playing most weeks um, was, I think, a really big step forward for us to, to show that the way that the team's been coached and the way that the team's been put together is is not dependent on one person, but a collective. So I think that was that was really important for us. Um, to see that and then you know I think the bit that comes from it is the belief right mm -hmm. so when you are coaching an elite team you have a whole set of theories and ideas about what you ask your players to do and if you if they do it and they win then they believe you're right and if they do it and you don't win then they stop believing in the process so I think that that sort of consecutive levels of, of belief in the process and the people around the team um, and and in our success from what we are doing means that I hope that team will keep doing it and keep working hard and believing in the future, I think. Yeah. I saw something on uh, LinkedIn uh, from uh, a colleague within some areas. I won't name names, but uh, they made a point of saying that on the all-staff call, I think ahead of uh, the game, you'd made a point of saying that actually being able to shoot you know, and compete for the first position was the real achievement. Um, after a year that's been so tough for everyone, including businesses like Saints, how proud are you of the effort everyone that club has uh, put into reaching the top of the league? Yeah, very proud, actually. Um, and I think, you know, it did come pretty much a year from that famous Leicester game that I think we won't talk about so much more. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that is right. That is what I said on the, the staff call. And I actually said 
a boring story about my cricket background, which is I played village cricket. And, um, you know, we are in a league and we can't win anything if we win that league. We can't get promoted and we, we don't make any money from it. But if you're not in that group of clubs that can win the league with 10 games to go, then suddenly people stop turning up. Mm. And I think that's that's also important in, in Premier League football. We have to give the fans the belief that on any given day we might win or we might push up the table and then the stadium will be full and everyone will be excited. So for me personally, and I know Ralph has a, a similar view with a slightly different angle on it, which is in the end, it's not about always trying to win the championship or trying to win the Premier League, whatever it might be. It's about being in that group that says you might one day because then you constantly strive for improvement. So mm. I think I think that's important. And then I think, you know, we're very proud of our development, but it, it doesn't mean a lot unless we keep doing it. And I think, um, you know, I'll give you an example uh, from Ralph. You know, we on Friday night, we went top of the league. We're very proud of. And the next morning we had a B team game against Man City, which we won 5-2, which we're mm. very proud of as well. And Ralph and all his coaching staff were at that game. And then we're on the pitch after the game addressing the team. And I, and I heard what he said. And what he said was, we are watching you. You are now playing in our way. You're replicating the way we train and the way we play. And you are ready to step up. So if Danny is injured or Ryan is injured, there are people on this pitch who will play in the first team. And I think that, that captures what this club is about, which is we are preparing people to be ready to be performing at the elite level. And if everybody buys into it, we'll be successful. And if one of those guys on that pitch in the B team thinks, whatever I do, Ralph's never going to pick me. There's no point in being there. It might as well be me on the pitch, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody has to believe they have a chance to, to play in a team and a belief that that team might win something. And then you've got um, forward momentum, I think. You, you mentioned there um, being top of the league or winning the Premier League isn't necessarily part of the, the strategy, you know, certainly in the short term. But I suppose, you know, things like turning potential into excellence is obviously a philosophy the, the club have had for a while now. Do you think, though, that reaching first place has kind of now set a new benchmark for anyone working at Saints in the future, you know, whether it's on or off the pitch, as in we've done it before, we can do it again, that's now what we're shooting for? Yeah, I think it does. Ralph would use the language, you know, what we're trying to achieve is get the team in a position where we can win any game. We're not scared of any opponent. And at this moment, I think we would be in that position. We are not going to win every game, but we feel that whatever the opposition out of the 19 teams, we can beat them on their day. And therefore, in that situation, it is possible that we can go to the top of the league. So I think that's important. But I think I think the second part is, you know, again, if I can talk for Ralph, mm. Ralph sees winning as continual improvement. So after the Aston Villa game, I phoned him to kind of go, oh, you know, we won another game. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not interested. We were poor and we should have done better. And that, that constant improvement within him is what matters. So... You know, I, I don't think it's about where we finish in the league or whether we win or not. I mean, you know, if we're in third place with five games to go, we'll have a different conversation. But it's about constantly improving on and the pitch, off the pitch, in the B team, in his staff, in the medical department. And if you do that, it gives you a chance to win. And again, to be clear, because there'll be someone that won't like what I'm saying, it does not mean that we don't want to win or that we don't think we can win. But the way we believe to set this club forward is not to set an end goal. Destination of the train is not winning the Premier League. It's about setting that train running in that direction and hoping we get as close as we can. And if one day we do do it, then of course we'd be um, thrilled and taking all the credit for our our brilliant plan. (laughs) Uh, With the team doing so well at the moment, and we've had the rather shocking development of the the mainstream media actually praising the club (laughs) instead of of just (laughs) talking about certain heavy defeats. Um, Not match of the day, though. No, 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 it was a bit weak, that, wasn't it? But um, how do you guard against any complacency that might set in? I think we discussed before, 
um, previous regimes, if you like, maybe started believing their own hype a little bit, having made a couple of successful sort of signings, managerial appointments, and then it seemed to all go a bit pear-shaped after that. So how do you guard against that? Yeah, I think I think on the pitch and, and around Ralph, I don't think you'll see any of that because that's not in his nature. I think we could win three Premier Leagues in a row and he wouldn't be complacent and he would always want improvement and he would always be grumpy with something and, and, and that's that's the drive that's within him. So I don't think on the pitch you'll see that, but I think the protection on that side of it is if there's somebody who doesn't want to fight and hunt for the team and fight for the club and fight for Ralph, they won't be there um, at the end of the next window and it doesn't matter who you are, um, how good you are, I think you fight that complacency by making sure we have 23 or have many people in the first team squad that want to be hungry and want to fight. And therefore you have to evolve that team. And, you know, if we were to win the Premier League, you know, three years on the, on the road, you still have to change the team and, and make them hungry for the future. So I think, I think from the playing point of view, I don't think you'll see that. I think from a club perspective, I'm not so sure it was complacency as sort of believing your own hype a bit. So I think what's important is you have a plan and you stick to it. So I think maybe where it went wrong before is, we, we were very, very good at buying £8 million players and developing them. And because we got good at that and when we started winning games, we, we thought we'd be very, very good at buying £16 million players and developing them. And potentially that didn't work. So I think it's about the process of what we believe in and the players we buy. And again, if you look at the players we bought in this window, that is our model. We're looking at young potential who are hungry with sort of open hearts and open brains who want to learn and get better. And I, I just don't think we will ever change that model uh, even if, you know, like Leicester, who I think are shining light of the model that we are trying to implement, even if we get to that level on a consistent basis, we'll still buy the same sort of players. Um, because I think if you start dipping into a market you don't understand you're not good at, that is where the complacency comes in and goes wrong, I think. Yeah, that's good. One of the joys of doing well, of course, uh, again, the mainstream media, they immediately start talking up. Ralph, in this case, for potentially bigger managerial roles. Um, when he joined the club, he said he wanted to make a name for himself. And one way or another, he's definitely done that. Um, we had questions from three of our patrons, Alastair, Alex and Mark. Amongst many, we're keen to know how confident we are of being able to keep Ralph at Saints longer term if we get the scenario where a, a bigger club comes calling at some point. Is this a scenario you ever need to discuss with him? Yeah, it's, it's an important factor of what we do. So, so first up, you know, we always say with players and managers, would you rather be in a position where we're doing really well and one day they then move to Man United versus doing really badly and then the club goes back? So, so we're not scared of it in terms of one day we hope and believe that the players and the manager will go to the next level. We just hope with Ralph it's uh, a lot slower than the players and um, we don't want it so much. So, but I think I think go back to where that rumour came from. So I think it came from Alex Crook at Talk Sport, who is a Man United fan, I'm sure you know. Um, <laughs> He's a great guy and he's brilliant on the radio, but I happened to have the radio on that day. And what he said was, I would like him at Man United. He'd do a better job than Ollie. But that was Alex's view, not the club's view or Man United's view. Or, you know, so I think sometimes those rumours come from nowhere. But, you know, unlucky Alex, you know, Ralph's with us and, and he's staying with us. And that's sort of the end of that. But, but I think what's more important to say is that Ralph is here for a project. Like I said to you before, he, he believes in improving the football project every day. And that's what makes him happy. Um, you know, I saw an interview in the German media with him this morning where he said the same thing, which is he likes to be with this club because it's improving every day and giving him the raw materials and the support he needs to be successful. And I believe in my heart of hearts that that's what he wants. Mm. He does not looking to go straight to the top and win the league easily. He likes to work yeah. on a project. So I think, you know, our role as a club is to 
give him all the support we can, give him everything he needs to be successful and make him feel comfortable. And that's not saying we're naive that if Barcelona came from one day, he wouldn't consider it. Of course he would. Um, but it's you know about creating a good enough uh, environment here that he doesn't want to do that um, yeah. unless the moment becomes right. Uh, you touched on it earlier about fans not being in the stadium. Um, we know for a variety of reasons you're keen to try and get fans back in as, uh, as soon as is, uh, as is safe. And it's obvious from information on the website the club are preparing for that day. Steve suggested when raising the subject, full capacity sporting events still look a long way away at the moment. Uh, while things remain uncertain and England is in lockdown, are you and the Premier League clubs still in ongoing dialogue with the Minister for Sport regarding fans returning to stadiums? Or has that been parked at the moment and you're just waiting to be told information as and when? Yeah, so, so there's a constant dialogue and I think very, very good progress is being made um, and then the virus came back or increased or however you want to say it. So you know, I think we're in a pretty serious position at the moment, which we have to take seriously and therefore that progress has, has slowed up. Um, you know, I'm personally very encouraged by the possibility of a vaccine and I think that's obviously because that's good for the, the nation and good for the end of this terrible time for everybody. But I think it also just gives people confidence and, and hope to to plan you know all markets are really about confidence and therefore if we believe there is a an end point or a you know a good point in the future even if that is march or april it allows us to start planning for the future so at the moment there's not a lot we can say or do apart from you know wait our turn again with the government to, to hit a point where we can shift it forward i think the vaccine is what will create the opportunity to bring the fans back in so so there's many many different views but at the moment i don't have a a picture of when but obviously we'd like it to be as soon as can be and as soon as safe for everybody just to pick up on contracts martin again you know we know from previous times uh, we wouldn't expect you to give any specifics away or confidential information etc but we briefly discussed last time you know the likes of ryan and danny and others potentially signing new contracts after james had during the summer alongside ourselves patron nico was keen to find out given previous errors of judgment with incoming signings and financial constraints that COVID may or may not bring, how much urgency there is around now trying to secure players who will be out of contract in the next 18 months or so? Because actually, when you look at it, we've got Ryan and Oriol currently due to lapse at the end of this season. We've then got currently nine senior players due to expire at the end of 2021-22, including Danny Ings, Stuart Armstrong, Yannick, uh, Jan Bednarek, Alex McCarthy. So quite a lot of Ralph's first team. Is it something that remains an important focus for the club at the moment, or is there a more relaxed view over the contract situation still? Yeah, yeah, it's an important process, and we're certainly not relaxed about it. But I think it's probably worth just touching on that process before I, you know, answer the specific question. So, yes, there's lots of work being done uh, in that space right now, and now is the moment to do it. Um, but, but the process and the timing is really important to, I think, correct the, the mistakes we talked about earlier on on, on, on this call. So. I think the way we, we saw it was, you know, let's build a plan for the future. Let's understand the style of play and the playbook. And But beyond that, let's also see it working. And then what we have to be is sure that the players we have fit that. Um, it's not about them being a good player. It's about them being a good player to fit our system. So there's many, many good players out in the market. Um, you know, Paul Pogba, I'll give you an example, a fantastic player. He wouldn't fit our system. So... Mm. You know, it's not about buying good players, it's about buying players that fit our system and want to work hard and hunt for the team and, and, and work for Ralph. So for me, it was about getting the plan and the system and the structure all knitting together and seeing it working and then we can make the right decisions for the future. So so now we're clear on this. I think you will see some movement 
uh, very soon. Um, we've been working on that and things will come out um, you know, pretty soon, I think, now. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the short term, yes, you'll see some results in that area. But I think it's worth saying, you know, in the medium term, longer term, you know, again, when we talk about it being higher up the league and being able to make strategic, intelligent decisions rather than short-term panic decisions, it's now sort of incumbent on us to build the right team with the right characters and the right blend of talents to build a winning team. And that doesn't mean everybody's young or everybody's experienced, or it means the right characters and the right people that want to fight for this club. So, you know, I think in the future, you will see a team with experience like Oriel and Shane and Ryan in that team because they bring so much to a Premier League team. Um, but we're also developing a group of, of young players like Diallo, like Diallo, like Will Smallbone that's now with us, mm. um, you know, who's going to build into a Premier League team. So it's about building that balance, but also about making sure that every single one of those 23, 24 players wants to be here, wants to fight for the club, has got the energy to, to fit into Ralph's system. And when we get to that, that is when I think we'll be our best. And we're getting closer to that, but I think there'll be some movement in that across the next year. Obviously, we've had a, a really good few weeks, Martin. I, I suppose the one downer throughout it all has been uh, Danny getting injured. Um, we're about a week after his operation now, for depending when people are listening to this podcast. Um, how's his recovery going? It's sort of fairly early stages. You know, from what you've seen and heard, how's things sort of looking in terms of the, I think it was four to six weeks, Ralph initially said. So the early prognosis looked like that is on track? Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, Danny is the ultimate professional, um, you know, such a good guy, so hardworking. And I, I, I did speak to him after the game when we all felt, you know, after the initial scan that it was a very short-term injury. And I'll be, I'll be on, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, all he was saying to me was, don't tell anybody that I can't play on Friday. I can play on Friday. I'm going to be fit. And, you know, that's just his character. And then when we got the diagnosis that it was an operation, there was a timescale put on the operation. And within five minutes, he was saying to me, well, forget that. I'm going to be 10 days quicker than that or whatever it might be. And that's mm. who he is. You know, he's back with us. He's working hard all day to get fit. So, you know, he will come back. He will be strong. It's not a major injury. You know, it's something which is unfortunate for us, for him, for the club. But he'll be back strong. Um, you know, we don't know the timescales. But I, I think we can confidently say that he will be playing for us again in December and contributing at his highest level. Um, during the very, very busy games through December. What we don't know is whether that will be the first week, the second week, third week, or whatever it will be, but he will be back in December playing, I'm pretty sure. Uh, speaking of players in general, Martin, there's been a lot of chat this week around the five subs rule returning. Um, likes of uh, Klopp and Guardiola have uh, raised it the last few days, um, ironically after a match where they made two and one substitutions, <laughs> respectively. Uh, it's, it seems to have been ruled out for now, but do you see the five subs rule as something that should seriously be thought about? Um, or do you see it as it just something that benefits the huge clubs who can bring on five £50 million players if they want to? Yeah, a, a very difficult one, this one. And um, I did see Richard Masters with the, with the government this week talking about it. And mm. I, I think there are two really important things to discuss here. One is that in the end, the Premier League is a collective of 20 clubs and something that that we as a club, and I'm especially passionate about, you know, there are 20 clubs with 20 votes. And in the end, however much I might want something or don't want it, if we don't get the votes and 14, 15, 16, whatever it is, clubs say no, then they said no and that's it, right? So so I think the Premier League view is without a vote, people didn't want to do it, so we're not doing it. So I think that's, yeah. that's where we stand at the moment. Um, on, on a personal level, um, you know, we actually voted yes to that. And we voted yes to that. I think for three reasons really around performance, which is when you actually study the data and the facts, it seems fair and logical to me that in a lockdown environment, in a COVID environment, 
uh, the being able to use a few more subs seems like good medical science. I think we'll get less injuries. Mm. I think it's fair when we're asking people to play more games. So is it fair that the big teams, I think, would have an advantage? I think they probably would. But I think sometimes you have to put that to one side in a global pandemic and say, actually, this is better for athletes. It's better for football. It could be more entertaining to watch. Um, so I think from that point of view, we voted yes. But actually, if we're really honest, we voted from a selfish point of view, which is for us as a club, our style of play actually fits better having substitutes that we can use on the bench because of the running stats we do. And, you know, would Ralph like to be able to change both strikers after they've run themselves into the ground with 10 minutes to go? I think he probably would. So, you know, I think in the end, we voted yes for personal reasons, which is in our style of play, it fits. But also, I think the bit that everybody misses and might become part of the future is that you can blood more young players in an environment where you have more subs. So you can take more people with you on a match day. You can give Mason Teller more minutes. You, you can do all those things. But as we've seen in the Brighton game, where we started with one or two young players on a Wednesday night, um, you can also encourage your managers to take more of a risk. So if you've got five subs and you want to give, you know, Jake Bokins a game at left back because Ryan has played a lot of games, the confidence to be able to do that, but be able to change it if it's not working with half an hour to go, I think you'll end up with more minutes for young players and young English players. So from that point of view, we're also quite supportive. But again, to be clear, the other clubs didn't feel that way and therefore it's a collective and, and I don't think it will change. And I was just going to say, it's an interesting one, Martin, yeah, because George, who asked the question, made the point about soft tissue uh, injuries sort of being up across the board. And I suppose it's something that will be interesting for you to, to sort of discuss with the Premier League and other clubs. Um, one thing that's been banded around a little bit, not just within the Saints fan base, but wider is, you know, you could potentially say, right, out of those five subs, two of them have to be British players under 21. I don't know whether you could ever get that specific or whether clubs would tend to sort of veer away from that because it's harder for others to achieve. Yeah, you can do that. And I, I might be wrong, but I think there was some rule where when the number of subs were extended, some of them had to be under 23. And they're, and they're very comfortable with that. I think you have to be a little bit careful with the, the British bit versus, you know, homegrown versus. But actually, age-wise, I think it's very easy um, to the number of people to be on the bench have to be under a certain age. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think I think the soft tissue injuries are real. But, you know, in, in reality, it's a competitive environment. And if everybody's got the same rules, then everybody needs to find a way around it. And I think the thing that unsettles the media and the fans is the big clubs saying we can't cope with it when they've got multi-multi-million pound players who don't ever play. So I, I don't have a sympathy that they shouldn't be able to cope with it because we can and we've got less players than them. Um, but I actually agree from an entertainment point of view, from a player welfare, healthcare point of view, it's actually probably better to have more people on the pitch and, and performing at a higher level in my opinion. Just um, focusing on, obviously we're in an international break at the moment, Martin. There was a, a lot of chat about players potentially being stopped from travelling on international duty by clubs, uh, you know, around Europe and things like that, given the ongoing pandemic. Uh, among others, of course, Stuart's obviously travelling to play for Scotland, Yannick's um, Danish call-up, that sort of thing. The latter, particularly delicate given the recent coronavirus mink situation in Denmark. Um, the question I was interested to sort of find out, how much influence do clubs really have on those situations at the moment? And how much are you needing to sort of be involved during the break? Because I, I imagine, for example, when Scotland rang you up to say, you know, Stu's... Uh, tested positive for coronavirus or something like that I can't imagine you just sort of say all right thanks for letting us know there's obviously I imagine protocols and processes you have to sort of kick into play yeah and, and let's touch on that Stu question and then we'll come back to to the international break so so ironically I did receive that call on Stuart and um, one of the things I love about this club and I'm so proud of is that is the the skill base in the medical department and the operations department so you know I, I made a couple of calls straight after that 
and you know the medical department came back and said we've already found a solution this is where Stuart can go this is how we can keep him safe you know that that level of player care and being able to look after these players and make sure that they are you know protected and looked after as individuals but also ready to play for us is really inspiring to watch and it's probably been my favorite thing of lockdown is to watch you know a high class medical environment operate and keep everybody safe in the club and I, I actually really enjoy watching that mm. happen because it's so out of my skill base and they're so brilliant but you know come back to international football you know it, it's a difficult position isn't it because I, I personally don't love it you know I'm, I'm running a Premier League team and do it, would I prefer they all stayed at home of course of course we would um, but you know they love playing for their countries and, and you know it's, you know all of us would you know, take that call and go and travel if, if if we could. So we have to to balance that. You know, I think there should be a balance. I'm not a mad fan of playing three games in a window. I don't understand the logic of that, if I'm honest, mm. when we're all playing more games. But, you know, they want to go. They're really passionate about going and we have to help them um, the best we can. And, and yes, in this year, in a COVID environment, we're much more involved in it. You know, in the past, probably, you know, it's all taken care of by the international federations. They fly off, they play, they come back. We are much closer now with the monitoring um, we don't have control of it. We can't just say this player is not going. But the relationships are pretty strong um, with each federation because you get to know them, right? Because if, if Jan is going off to Poland, you do get to know them as the years go on and mm. the relationships are, are, are pretty strong. Um, and then it gets tested when you have a situation, for example, like uh, you know James Will-Prowse being injured and not being able to travel. You've got to trust each other. Okay, so James is a high-level professional who looks after himself and is the most committed professional I've ever come across so when he says I am not fit and I cannot play in that game tonight I guess it is Thursday um, then England believe him right because he's not trying to duck out of it he wants to play for England and for me he will play for England and I personally believe that when it gets to the summer you know he will start for that team because he offers so much in work rate and character and creativity and set pieces that you know I think he'll be in that team and therefore he doesn't want to to not be there but sometimes those situations happen and you have to trust each other um, and work together or otherwise that system can fall down I think uh, right deep breath it's the takeover question <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was raised by John and Nick um, there were a lot of rumours around Saints potentially being taken over six eight weeks ago but since then certainly publicly it seems to have gone quite quiet the question is as things stand here today do you believe we are any closer to Saints being sold by Mr Gow and or attracting a new investor to the club? Yeah, it's no problem to answer it. I get asked it a lot um, and I always give the same sort of answer if I can, which is the relationship's very good. You know, I had a call with, with our ownership group this morning. They're very supportive. You know, there's no issue in the relationship or in the way we operate the club. We we have a collective plan and I'm allowed to get on and, and operate that. So, so on a day-to-day, there's no problem. You know, what might happen in the future, none of us really know. Um, I think what I said last time, well, I certainly said it to Dan when he when he asked me, is there constant rumours? And I say, well, I think they're rumours because otherwise I would know about it. Um, and then eight or ten weeks down the line, nothing happens. I think there's probably a bit of evidence there to show that I might be right, which is it's constant rumours about constant people. At the moment, you know, nothing is happening. You know, would this club in the end attract other investment to allow us to kick forward? I think in the end that might well happen. But, you know, it's not something that's happening at the moment. We don't need it right now. Um, and there's, there's nothing on the table that I'm aware of, no. Perfect, Martin. All right. Right. A couple of questions on a much lighter note. Uh, Jamie wants to know if you own and wear a Southampton shirt when you're relaxing at home. So I'm, I'm sure a few people know, Martin, you've got a young son. So when you're playing with him out in the back garden, that sort of thing, do you have Simmons 10 shirt? <laughs> um, I, I, I do. I do have some kit. Um, I, have, I have three daughters and a son. And three daughters wore the Southampton shirt in bed. 
uh, every night for a long time instead of sort of wearing whatever you might wear in bed. But um, I will be totally honest with you, which is a Southampton first team shirt uh, on my physique does not look as good around the house yeah. as you might uh, happen to think. So I do own some kit and I do wear it. It's incredibly comfortable, but probably not the shirt very often because you wouldn't like to see that if you saw it. <laughs> I've got to be honest, Martin, uh, as a uh, middle-aged man myself, since Under Armour became our brand, it's not because I don't like the design. It is more the uh, the way that it looks on me. I haven't bought one since, unfortunately. So hopefully we'll get back to someone that provides uh, a <laughs> kit that isn't so skin-tight at some point. But uh, yeah, good to know anyway. Yeah. That's great. So uh, yeah, um, And in a similar vein, uh, Charlie asked whether you're worried about the amount of win bonuses you're having to pay in uh, 2020. Uh, that's Toby's problem, and <laughs> it's always nice to see him stressing about it. But... but um... No. So in a series, to answer that seriously, the way that our finances are structured are um, the players and the coaching staff and stuff where the bonuses come, they come from additional income. So they're all they're all triggered that if we win the FA Cup, we have X amount of additional income yep. and a small percentage of that goes. So any win bonus we pay is well earned and well uh, joyous to pay because we have generated more money at the same time. Okay, last couple then. When we had him on a few weeks ago, Toby Steele spoke briefly about recruiting non-EU players. We've had a question in from George who is curious how you think Brexit will affect the club's recruitment, particularly in the age 16 to 18 category, which Saints seem to have targeted the last few years. Following on from that, do you foresee the club being more extensive in their search for British players? Interesting question um, and one we've been looking at for a long time. So, yeah, we, we work through the Premier League and the FA um, all the time to try and find the right solution for that. So we have a, a structure in the moment where there's a whole bunch of rules about what we can and cannot do, um, which everyone knows about. Um, Toby actually sits on a, on a working group with the Premier League trying to work out with the FA the future of that plan. Um, it will definitely change um, about the time that Brexit comes in. Um, how it will change, we don't really know yet. I think the real uncertainty coming up is around young players and what you can do there. Um, there's not a lot I can say in terms of how that will change. But the bit I think we know will change is we have a view that a UK-based squad is probably right for our club um, and the model we have. Um, doesn't mean they all need to be from the UK, but but I would imagine Brexit will lead to that slightly increasing through the Premier League um, in some shape or form, probably to do with the FA's policy on, on what we have to do. Um, but we would like to be ahead of that curve probably forever. Um, so I would see more UK-based players coming into the squad than before, but, but not, not substantially, but just slightly. Um, but actually, the opposite is true from a recruitment perspective, which is what will happen is Europe will be broken down as a easy target, and therefore to recruit from South America or, or New York or Kenya will be actually probably as easy as it is from Europe, and therefore our scouting network will have a slightly different um, model to work with. So What's important the way we work is we focus on key countries that we're expert in and that we know about and that we are making sure we buy great players that we have watched closely. Um, we, we exclude certain countries in the world and certain continents in the world from that because we don't have the ability and, and uh, spread to go wide enough. I think in the future we might spread a bit wider. Um, and again, to give you context from that, we, we don't bring players in specifically from Africa because we don't have a scouting network there and we don't have the ability to do that from a visa perspective. We'll watch them closely as they go into Belgium or Italy or Spain um, and then take them from there. That that might yeah. be different in the future because the visa restrictions will be taken away. Just finally there, Martin, because I'm sure there's 10, 20 other subjects we could go through, but I, I think it's about trying to make the most of your time and the current sort of situation in the season and that sort of thing. Um, 
a couple of patrons, including Nico, would like us to raise the subject of the women's team. Um, we're aware that obviously their current fixtures have been postponed until the 2nd of December, I think it is at the moment. But yeah. Nico made a point of saying that only sort of pre and post-match reports are currently available really via Saints and that more often than not, fans of the women's team are having to rely on the opposition's social media feed to follow the game and the score and things like that rather than a sort of dedicated Saints one. With so many fans genuinely interested in their progress, are there any plans for the club to really enhance their social media coverage of uh, the women's team when they do get back to action? Yeah, good question. So I think as we talked about last time, the women's team is so important to us because you know it offers us um, you know different route to football, different route to capturing people, and different route to, to winning games. Frankly, so the investment we make there is you know something we're really proud of and something we'll continue with despite um, the COVID situation. So growing that team. Um, again, I think I said last time, they're just the most vibrant, brilliant bunch of people um, pushing forward and winning games that have such ambition for the future. So we will support them. You know, in specific relation to following them on social media, I know we have a huge amount of restrictions at the moment about, you know, whether we're allowed to take a camera to certain games. And mm. there's so many um, difficult restrictions that we have to bypass. So it may be a result of that, but it's something that I can follow up on because obviously I'm not I'm not aware of the detail. But yes, we we must provide better access to that because you know it is a joyous thing I, I, I must admit I get the highlights sent to me and I watch them when I can't go and it's just a joyous thing to watch because they're brilliant and they win so we'll make sure that um, that happens more brilliant all right well i'm sure we'll uh, keep watching this space on things like ppv and uh, obviously the leadership diversity code that we touched on in the pod uh, a few weeks back has uh, sort of raised its head this week martin we're not going to bring those up but just to say uh, again you know we really appreciate you catching up with uh, glenn and myself uh, providing honest yep. thoughts and views and uh, you know let's hope when saints get back on the the pitch next week we can keep this uh, feel good factor going through the the next phases of matches uh, obviously it's a busy run up to christmas now but yeah just as we said last time martin keep up the the great work and look forward to catching up with you again soon thank you so it's, a, it's yep. a pleasure to come on and um, you know where we where we can't get fans in the stadium we'll keep doing it for sure This is the Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. A big thanks again to Martin for his time. Always a pleasure speaking to him. And also to our patrons via patreon.com slash Podcast for all of their questions. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at Total Saints Pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just look up Total Saints Podcast. Or you can email any questions or feedback to totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com. Otherwise, we'll be back next week to preview the Wolves game and we'll have our latest TSP International Supporters Club with the Norwegian Saints. So until then, thanks very much for listening and keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.